welcome to a very special episode of Bad Movie Sunday today. I'm Ashley. And I'm Amy. And today is our 50th episode of this podcast. Wow. And we wanted to celebrate because this is, again, our Have a Lot of Fun season. Season 3, 2021, Have a Lot of Fun. So we wanted to bring back a movie that we've both seen before and that we actually did for the very first episode that we ever recorded. The original recording was not released because it was four hours long, if I can, if I can recall. So we didn't want to edit that one, but we did want to do Daredevil again one day. And here it is, number 50. We decided to do this one for fair. I think Daredevil was either the first or one of the first that um, we ever decided to do when this little idea, this little, little, little idea in the back of our mind of a podcast first graced our thoughts. And <laughs> I went, we both went back and we rewatched the movie for today. I also went back and looked at my old notes and it was 11 pages long. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I had to cut so much down because in my old notes they were insane (laughs) i don't know what i was trying to do but i wrote down like every single i'm like it starts off with the credits (laughs) (laughs) and then the credits fade to the logo (gasps) i'm like delete Why do I have so much information in this? Wow. Um, I did I don't know where my notes are because I, I used to handwrite them and now they're all in my Google Drive. So I don't know where my notes are, but I'm very glad that I didn't have to read them over again because I'm sure I would have had like fifty pages of notes because I mean now we have it kind of down to like a science. We know what we're going to talk about. We know what, like, the funniest points of the movie are going to be. Uh, in this movie, it's all of it. But before, we were just, like, starting out. We're just, like, fresh. We're we're uh, trying things out. We're experimenting. We don't really know what to do. Um, so I guess we just said everything because it was four hours long. I don't know what we thought we said that was so good that, ha- that had to last for four hours. Yeah, um, maybe it was four hours, because we were talking about, like, and then he walks through a puddle, and then we see a pan up of a church, and then we zoom into the church. Oh! <laughs> Why? Is it so detailed? To be fair, though, this is, a, like, a long movie. I just found out, I don't know if we actually knew this the first time we watched it, But I found out that there's a regular uh, theatrical version, which is like an hour and 45 minutes. But then there's like this director's cut, which is two hours and 15 minutes. But it's really like two hours and five minutes because like 10 minutes for credit, whatever. But there's this like long ass version. And uh, we decided to watch that this time around. I'm not even sure which version we watched last time. But we watched the director's cut for y'all. We don't want to miss a single beat of this this captivating story, and uh, I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about today. Hopefully not four hours worth, but a lot. Oh, yeah, and um, the director's cut, first of all, was 
impossible to find. I messaged Amy at like midnight and I'm like, I have been deep in the web. I have been contacting all my little dark web contacts trying to find this director. Does it exist? Is it a myth? And Amy came through. We had to watch it. <laughs> Our university's library of like philosophy movies. And for some reason, our university's library was like, you know what the kids need? They need information on on uh, uh, Socrates, on Bion, I don't know, Einstein, Matt Murdock. <laughs> you know what? If, if anybody out there is listening and they're currently a university student or even, you know, a professor, anybody who's affiliated with a university, you can go to your university's website and for free on Criterion On Demand, yes, like the Criterion channel with all the best movies in the world, uh, you can find this movie, the director's cut of Daredevil from 2003 starring Ben Affleck, and you can watch it there. And also, I'm pretty sure I watched the Bratz movie on there, too. <laughs> Our university has their priorities. <laughs> yeah, they've got us covered. Um, they know what we want, and they're delivering it. Do you know, by the way, what the extra scenes were in this movie? I do, and we can go over it at the end after okay. we kind of talk about those scenes. But yeah, I do. There is on IMDb a list of like all the scenes that you would be missing from the director's cut. It's not really a lot. It's mostly like the, the B and C plots of the movie, but we'll go over those at the end. And uh, right now, I guess we'll just jump right into the movie. Well, first, I don't think we, <laughs> I don't think we introduced this podcast. <laughs> this is our 50th episode. We are very excited. But if this is your first episode, welcome, first of all, to our very special day here. I'm so glad you can share this with us. We are Bad Movie Sunday. We're a podcast that watches bad movies so you don't have to. We roast them. We toast them. And we're going to have a lot of fun. Just like this season is supposed to be. This season, season three, 2021, have a lot of fun. Uh, we're just going to have a lot of fun with the movies that we watch. We chose Daredevil because we had a lot of fun the first time, even though it was four hours long. You know what? I'm glad that we're doing Daredevil for our 50th because we've we've grown so much and we've learned so much in these three years. God, I I don't think either of us has gone back and listened to that four-hour-long episode. I think my internal, like, cringe meter would physically prevent me from listening to that episode. Yeah, and, like, even when I go back and, and listen to our season one episodes where... Our, our sound wasn't as good and we weren't quite as funny as we thought we were and we didn't really have it down um, the, you know, the, the routine of it down the same way that we do now. It's just not, it's not as fun. It's not, you can tell that's not our fun season and this is our fun season. It's not as fun to listen to those episodes. My, my internal cringe meter is just like shattering, breaking. Uh, it's gone. <laughs> it's off the chart, boys. <laughs> So we've been talking a lot about how much we love Daredevil, but if you've never heard of Daredevil, not not the Netflix uh, TV show, but the 2003 Ben Affleck movie, I've got a little summary here from IMDb, and it says, A man blinded by toxic waste, which also enhanced his remaining senses, 
fights crime as an acrobatic martial arts superhero. You heard it here. We love Daredevil, the acrobatic martial arts superhero. Oh, yeah. You know it. This movie also has... I mean, if you haven't seen this movie, this movie has an all-star cast. And this movie was, what, 2002, right? 2002, 2003. Actually, this is kind of funny because we're releasing this, I think, exactly a week before... Valentine's Day, and this movie came out on Valentine's <gasps> Day in 2003. The romantic movie, date movie of the century. And we'll go over it, but it, it has a lot of iconic scenes that you would definitely want to bring a date to. It has the kissing in the rain scene. <gasps> I mean, in any, any rom-com, that's amazing, but in this one especially so. It has, you know, the, the two romantic leads... Fighting each other to the death in a, in a school playground. <laughs> All kinds of romance going on in this movie. And, I mean, speaking of romance, we got, again, we have Ben Affleck playing Matt Murdock slash Daredevil. And we have Jennifer Gardner, who he eventually married and then divorced, oh. as Electra. And here's the thing. This was, like, before... Superhero movies were, a, like, a big thing. This was when superhero movies were still kind of considered a little nerdy, still kind of on the off, the sidelines. Other sort of movies during a side, Like, this was, like, the time of, like, Spawn and Ghost Rider, Blade, Constantine, Catwoman. The kind of, like, dark angsty <laughs> vibe that the 2000s had going for it with its early superhero movies. I'm surprised that the cast for this movie, considering that superheroes weren't, like, mainstream yet. Yeah, it's got so many, like, recognizable big stars. So we've got those two. We've got uh, Colin Farrell as Bullseye, and he got to keep his Irish accent. Uh, we've got uh, John Favreau as Foggy Nelson, We've got Ellen Pompeo from Grey's Anatomy as Karen Page, who's only in, like, two scenes, but whatever. Uh, we've got Joe Pantoliano as Ben Urich. We've got, you know, a lot of stars in this movie. We really do. <laughs> a lot of shining stars. And before we, before we take you through the journey that is 2002-2003, we have a special drinking game and a, sh and a special drink to go along with that, that you can drink either along to our podcast or if you want to watch the movie. And you know what? Because today is a special episode. It's the 50th episode. We've been doing this for a little over three years. It's a, it's a time for celebration. <laughs> so have a, have a drink with us. Yeah, it doesn't have to be this drink, although this drink... I mean, I think you'll like this one, Ashley. It's literally called Daredevil. That's the, the drink name. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> you can choose any drink you want, but uh, I will go over the recipe for Daredevil. And uh, if you want to get it yourself, it's on CocktailBuilder.com. So what you need is one ounce of Bacardi 151 rum. You also need orange juice, but they don't say how much. So I guess you just got to... Play it by ear. Uh, and then you need a quarter fill of pineapple juice. I'm going to guess a quarter 
You're going to fill a quarter of your glass with pineapple juice? They're not very specific with these instructions. You're going to need half an ounce of Meyer's Dark Rum, a splash of 7-Up or Sprite, and another quarter fill of cranberry juice. I'm not exactly sure what they mean by fill. If they mean, like, fill your glass a quarter with pineapple juice and another quarter with uh, cranberry I don't know. You just you just do what you like. This is a celebration. You can add more rum. You can add more juice. Whatever you like. And we also have a drinking game to go along with it. So uh, we'll try to yell out drink whenever these things happen. But over the last three years, I've learned that we don't really do that a lot. So <laughs> you might have to keep track on your own. Or if you want to watch the movie, you can write these things down and then uh, look for them as you're watching the movie. But uh, let's go back and forth with our drinking game. I do have my old notes open in addition, and I, there's some choice notes that I did not delete because I do not know what they mean. So I'm going to go over my new drinking game uh, that I wrote when I rewatched this movie. Um, and then I am going to mention a couple points that I wrote three years ago that I just don't know what I meant. So my first point is every time you see a rose motif. Oh, okay. I had something similar. So I had every time someone leaves like a calling card after they kill someone. So so either the rose or Daredevil like just straight up leaves the initials DD after he killed a dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a choice. Definitely. I mean, if you didn't know that his name was Daredevil, it could get a little confusing. You could think it was Daddy. <laughs> I guess so. Um, my second point is whenever we see a super mega close-up of someone's glasses, which happens more than you might think. I had that one too. I also have every time you see someone step in a puddle or something falls in a puddle, there's a lot of puddles, I guess, in New York City. Yeah, and I <laughs> I had this in a note, but they're always used as, like, transition scenes. It's like, oh, someone steps in a puddle, and then we pan up to whatever. But there's, like, 50 of those. <laughs> My next point is whenever Bullseye touches his bullseye <laughs> that he has on his forehead. <laughs> okay, I have... Every time uh, Matt Murdock slash Daredevil listens to someone's heartbeat. Ooh, that's good. Um, I have every time Foggy talks about the alligators in the sewers. <laughs> okay. I have, and I think I counted this three times in the director's cut. Every time there's a scene where it's raining. Oh, that's good. Okay. My last one is every time we get some sort of reference to justice. Like, someone says, oh, justice is blind, or something. <laughs> okay, my last one is every time you see um, Matt's radar sense, like, basically you see what he would be seeing with his, like, echolocation senses. Oh, that's good! Okay, okay. And now I want to give to you a couple points that you don't have to drink along to, because I don't... okay. So three years ago, I have this note, right? Drinking game. And then in parentheses, emo. 
<laughs> what? Just emo. <laughs> is that is that like a point to drink along to every time it gets emo? I get. I guess. I guess I meant every time it gets emo. But that's just like the whole movie is emo. <laughs> yeah, like you mentioned before, this is like in the gritty superhero. They were really trying to make this dark. Um, it turned out not the way that they anticipated, I think, but they were really trying. And so there's a lot of his apartment is literally like painted black entirely, all the walls and everything. And there's like, I think, two Evanescence songs in this movie. And it's just very, very emo. Yes. Oh, you know it. The, like, end credits are this, like, <laughs> this punk rock song. Oh, it's beautiful. It takes me back to my high school days, which I don't necessarily want to go back to. Um, but it did, it did take me back to everything that I listened to in the early 2000s. My second note just says O, <laughs> like, just O-V-E. What does that mean? What does it mean? Is it a code? Do I need to? Is it? Does it stand for something? O v e. Wow. Oh, but in in this movie, there's this clue that they find as they're investigating. We'll talk about it later. And it it says M O M, and they're like mom. But then they turn it upside down, and it says wow. So if you were to turn the word ove upside down, does oh, it reveal another word? Then it kind of says, like, ow, like a lowercase a, a capital A, and the O. Ow. Ow. Oh, because okay. this movie pained you, because it was so painful. <laughs> oh, that's good. Every time this movie just pains me, we figured it out, boys. <laughs> I mean, I have a couple other noits. Uh, <laughs> I have a couple other notes in here. <laughs> I have a couple other notes in here that do make sense. Like every time there's a, a devil reference, every time <laughs> every time Matt Murdock does something so obviously daredevil. But that's just the whole movie. Because this is literally about Daredevil. Yeah, maybe just um pick and choose from, from those categories because the emo thing happens a lot. Matt Murdock being like completely daredevil happens a lot. <laughs> It does pain me a lot. Um, the last point I have is probably my favorite. <laughs> Sniffinger. <laughs> what? Sniffing with an R at the end. <laughs> Sniffinger. Now the Scooby Gang might have another job on their hands because what the actual hell does that mean? <laughs> Okay, let's break this down. Could you could you be trying to say sniff finger, but you just combine <laughs> them into one word because you didn't have enough space? Or could it be sniffing her, and that's like a combination of the words sniffing and her? Because uh, he does oh. sniff Electra a lot. <laughs> oh, maybe. Oh, <laughs> that actually might be good maybe it's every time he sniffs electra which is a disturbing amount in this movie yeah like the first scene she's introduced you can see her outside gonna come into the coffee shop he's in and he's like 
It's a hot girl. <laughs> I can sense it. <laughs> Which is like a very specific power that he has, right? Because that's his whole thing. He's blind, and so all of his other senses are like uh, uh, heightened. So he smells her like perfume at one point, and he's like, hot girl alert. <laughs> it's her. <laughs> what if he smelled like a grandma? You know how grandmas are always wearing like floral perfumes? And then whenever he sees her next, he's like, Oh, it's her. But, like, there are other people who could have bought that perfume. Yeah, dude. Um, also, it's, like, raining at a lot of points. And I feel like the smell of rain might overpower that. But would it wash that away? I have no idea. And then there are those perfumes that after you wear them for an hour, they their scent changes. It's this whole thing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not a scentologist. I don't know. I'm not a perfumist. I, I don't know. Well, uh, Daredevil certainly is. And he has the very specific power of being able to smell people out like a little dog. So um, those are all my <laughs> points. Um, I'm so glad that we could interpret them, though. I was um, not very hopeful for that. Yeah, I'm so glad we got like a glimpse into you three years ago. What's going on in your head and and what I still am not really sure, but <laughs> you know what? Like me either. Except for the fact that I just like could not spell for some reason <laughs> or did not care to correct myself. So, now that we've given you a specialty drink that you can make, a drinking game to drink along to the movie. Now we're going to go through the actual movie, which I am so beyond excited for. <laughs> um, I don't think I've gone back and rewatched this movie since three years ago when we watched it for this. So this is very exciting. Yeah, me too. And again, we're doing the director's cut, so we're going to have uh, two hours and 15 minutes of, of all of this emo goodness. And the director's cut starts off with just a, a, a 20-minute long flashback of Matt Murdock telling his whole life story from his childhood. And it shows him, you know, getting bullied as a kid. His dad was a boxer, but then he started working for the mob. And there's this scene where Matt sees him at this construction site. First of all, he goes to the construction site. And he's like, hey, do you know where my dad, Jack Murdoch, is? And they're like, kid, he hasn't worked here in months. And then he goes around the corner of this construction site, and his dad is there, like, beating up someone for the mob. <laughs> like, at his old workplace, he's taken, he's doing his illegal, do like, where everybody knows who he is. Yeah, he's got no mask on. He's just chill. You know what? He goes where he's comfortable. He's like, you know what? This was my place. This was my workplace. You know what? Actually, I don't know what he was thinking. I'm not trying to defend him. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Because he's just, like, hanging out at his old job, which he doesn't, like, work at anymore. And he's doing his new job, which is, like, pretty illegal, which is, like, beating up people for the mob. Because he was a boxer. Anyway, so Matt finds him there, and then he sees his dad is, like, doing some sketchy shit, and he runs away. He runs through this construction site where there's, like, I guess just a bunch of, of radioactive poisonous materials that spill all over his eyes. 
and that's how he gets blinded. Then he wakes up, and he can, like, hear, he's, like, in the hospital, he's got this IV attached, and he can hear, like, the the fluid, like, dripping in the IV, and he can, like, hear people down the street, he's got all these, like, heightened senses, and he's like, oh my god, um, I can't see anymore, except... I can see when there's sound around me. And also, I live in New York. There's always sound around me. So I guess I can see, like, most of the time. (laughs) Yeah, you know, this kid got a great deal because he, quote-unquote, went blind. Except he totally didn't. He's, like, still able to see and his other senses are better. Yeah, and then the whole time there's this flashback going on. uh, His adult self uh, is narrating what's happening, and he's like... I lost my sight, but I also got something back in return. My four remaining senses functioned with superhuman sharpness. Yeah, and you also, like, still have your sight. (laughs) Yeah, but you can, like, still see. What are you complaining about? That's literally the whole point of your characters. You can still basically see. Yeah, so he can still basically see, and also the rest of his senses are super heightened. And he's like, oh, I'm poor me, woe is me, because I'm so, I'm so blind and I can't do anything. And he's like jumping off of buildings like face first, and he's like... Yeah, Amy mentioned that he gets like bullied as a kid, and they come after him after he, after he gets blinded, which how much of a monster do you have to be to go beat up a blind kid? But he just, like, in addition to still being able to see, getting all of his uh, other senses crazy heightened, he's also just, like, really good at martial arts now, I guess. Because his other senses, like, speak to him or <laughs> whatever. Speaking of the bullies, so the bullies come back to bully him after he gets blinded, um, like animals, and... They're like, oh, what are you going to do, beat me up, blind kid? And he's like, yeah, I will. And he takes his cane. And it's so funny. He, like, keeps whacking the bully on the sides of his face with the cane. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And And then he, like, goes on the... He goes on, like, the roof of a building. And he, like, just... On the very edge, he's doing his martial arts. He's doing his handstands. He's doing his... Uh, jump, kick, flip, uh, 360 degrees, 180, uh, whatever, uh, right at the edge of the fucking building. And then there's this part where he's at the top of a building, and there's some kind of, like, pipe, like, going down to the ground, and he, like, slides down to the bottom, like, Tony Hawk style, like, except without the skateboard, just, like, on his fucking feet, but he leaves his cane at the top, and I'm like, okay, that looked pretty sick. I will admit that. But how are you going to see now that you're at the bottom and your cane is at the top? Yeah, very good point. Except that he can, like, see. That way, like, he can can see. The problem is not how he's going to see, because he can. The problem is how he's going to make it look like he can't see. Okay, this is true. Imagine if you saw this, like blind kid just like doing his fucking martial arts at the top of the building and then just the sick slide the the sickest slide you've ever seen just down the side of the pipe of that building i would be like wow get this kid a tv show get this kid his own dojo like (laughs) and you know what he did get his own tv show and it was great yeah if you're expecting the kind of 
the the actual dark gritty kind of stuff you would see in the Netflix TV show look away kids cuz this is that they didn't intend for it to be so funny and so camp but it 100% is oh this movie was so choice <laughs> also his dad is because he's like beating up people for the mom he's trying to go straight because his kid is not loving what he's he's doing his his, his crime business. The kid's like, Dad, you gotta go straight, and the dad's like, you know what? You're right. <laughs> but he ends up angering the mob when he like throws one of his boxing fights. So the mob kill him and leave Matt orphaned. They kill him like right in front of him. This little blind kid. Yeah, and they, we know that he can see, right? But they don't know that he can't see. So he's just this poor orphan blind boy now. And we don't really know what happens to him after that. I guess in the comics, he goes and lives in, in like a, an orphanage or a church or something. But we don't know anything about that. But uh, they leave this rose on top of uh, Jack's body, his dad's body. And he's like, uh, Dad, are you still, are you still with that stay with me dad and he's fucking dead he's dead kid and then he he feels around and he he finds the rose on his chest and he's like damn this sucks <laughs> damn damn my dad's dead that do suck so now we're in the present day we've got uh matt all grown up now and the first that we see of him is he's Literally coming out of this metal coffin yes. full of water. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> that he just has in his apartment. And I wasn't sure if he, like, sleeps in that. Because when he comes out of it, he's not pruny. And he's never pruny in this movie. But I also get the feeling that he does sleep in it because he goes in there whenever he wants to not hear literally every voice in New York City because it's, like, kind of some kind of, like, sense deprivation tank uh, coffin thing. By the way, take a drink, because this is emo as hell. <laughs> and after he gets out of his coffin, the first thing he does is he goes and puts on some emo music. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, he puts on the most emo music to go get dressed, too. <laughs> this movie has, like, an aesthetic that I, like, can't describe any better than just... Just, just 2000s emo angst that is just, it's so perfect. It, it's its little bubble in time that nothing can touch. Yeah, if you guys are staying at home because of quarantine and you're like, wow, I really miss going out to Hot Topic. Well, guess what? Watch this movie and it's like you're there. Also, can we please take a minute to talk about his house, his apartment? Oh, yes, we because may. there are a lot of details that I do not want us to quickly brush over. I think we need to take a moment and just sit with them, right? Okay. So first of all, once again, he literally has like a, a giant metal coffin that he sleeps in. <laughs> Second of all, his walls... And his ceiling and his floor are painted black. He has an entrance through the roof, which we see in another scene. And the way that he opens it is that there are three combination locks. And he spins them at full speed. And he can hear, I guess, which number 
he needs it to land on because he just slams his hand into it when it reaches that number at full speed. <laughs> He's very precise. He has, like, just a bunch of creepy statues. Yeah, um, this movie's full of creepy statues, and he's got a lot of them. Yeah, and the last thing I just want to mention is that he has this, like, Fifty Shades of Grey type bondage room (laughs) with all of his daredevil stuff in it that doesn't even, like, have a lock on the door. Hmm, at least, like, Batman has, like... His like little secret entrance to his bat cave, you know. What then? I feel like a lot more people are gonna be going into uh, uh, Wayne Manor than into this random dude's New York apartment. Oh, actually, okay. I saw this meme. Right, <laughs> Batman and Daredevil are like surprisingly alike in their stories. Right, hear me out. A lot of parallels between the two. They both become vigilantes after their dad slash parents are murdered in an alley. They both use this kind of weird Batman voice when they're in the costume. They both travel by, like, grappling hook. They both light their logo on fire (laughs) to say when they've killed someone. Wow. Wow. And they were both played by... Oh Superstar my god, cherry on top. How could I miss that point? You're so right. Can I also read you a tweet that I I was immediately reminded of, and we'll put this on our Twitter later, but the tweet says, if I was new and you told me there's a superhero who's blind and uses echolocation to fight, and one who's an adrenaline junkie who flies around using gadgets, and that one is called Batman, and that one is called Daredevil, I would punch you in the face if I found out which was which. Oh my god, that is so, so <laughs> true. <laughs> Man, uh, yeah, they really should be switching, huh? Yeah, he was doing a lot of bat-like things in this movie. Dude, he even sleeps in a coffin! Yeah, he he fly the way he flies down buildings very bad like very bad like the whole echolocation thing totally buy that it's lit it's literally echolocation it's literally a bat yeah he can literally see like a bat <laughs> hang on we gotta we gotta make some calls <laughs> we gotta unravel like seventy years of uh, superhero. Lore to try to switch these two's names. Yeah, and and there's also one scene in this where he's just in a bar in the rafters, just hanging out like a bat. Oh my god, you're so right. You're so right. So yeah, uh, after he he wakes up in his emo coffin chamber, metal chamber of water. He puts on some emo music, and then he gets ready for the day. And then he goes to court, because he and Foggy are are lawyers, and they're representing some girl in this case, and this sleazy guy is giving his statement. Um, He's on the stand, and Matt can hear his heartbeat, and he's he's obviously a, a bad dude, but it seems like he's telling the truth because his heart is beaten whatever and then matt just like fucking 
just like threatens him right right in the middle of court right in front of this judge and this jury and he's like you know what i hope justice is found here today before justice finds you that sounds like a threat that is most definitely a threat that he said in this court of law And And it's also very implicating because immediately after this case, he goes to this bar where the dude is and beats him, not only just beats him up because the dude ends up escaping to these like subway tunnels and Daredevil just straight up murders him. Like, in cold blood, he, like, kicks the dude onto the tracks, and he cuts him in half, and Daredevil's like, justice has been sir. Matt! Matt, you can't just kill a dude after you just threatened him? There's just another, like, peak one-liners that he says to him right before he he, uh, gets hit by that train, because Matt just kicked him onto the tracks. He says... That light at the end of the tunnel, that's not heaven. That's the sea train. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) The writing in this movie is so peak. (laughs) And then, if he hasn't implicated himself enough after just straight up threatening this guy in a court of law as himself, Matt Murdock, and then killing him as Daredevil, um, in the next scene... The cops show up along with this reporter, Ben Urich, and uh, the reporter is talking to the cops and he's like, do you think Daredevil did this? And then the cops are like, Daredevil? He's a myth. And then the reporter is like, oh, really? And he's smoking, right? And he takes his cigarette and he throws it onto the floor. And then on the floor, there's just this giant flammable DD. Oh, there it is, baby. We love when we murder someone and we write our name in fire to be like, I murdered this person. I have so many questions about this scene. The first question I have is how did Ben Urich know that that was going to be there? And the second question I have is that the area was surrounded by cops. Did none of them step in that gasoline and mess up the shape? What if they said it's like PP? What then, huh? What then, Matt? <laughs> oh, that would have been so good. It could have gone so many ways. What if he ended of... up lighting a cop on fire by doing <laughs> yeah. that? Just like a cop's shoe just like bursts into flames. What if they're looking for the wrong guy because they messed up the shape of it and they're looking for this PP, but it's really DD? Oh, going after Peter Parker now. <gasps> Oh, interesting. Interesting. I mean, I said before, DD could mean a lot of things. <laughs> Doctor Doom, maybe. I mean, he's technically part of this universe. The whole Marvel world. <laughs> That's true. Doctor Doom. We've got even like a person's name. That's just like DD, like Darren... DiGiorno. Like, what? DiGiorno. You know him. You know, he's a famous character. Darren DiGiorno. A pizza? (laughs) Yeah. What about. Oh my god, I have the perfect person. Dr. Doolittle. (gasps) Oh, Dr. Doolittle. Interesting. 
See, he could have gotten all the little subway, could have, like, spoken to the little subway rats and been like, hey, kill this dude. And the subway rats could have carried him onto the tracks. Dr. Doolittle maybe has a dark secret in this, uh, this sphere of the world. DDD dark Dr. <gasps> Doolittle. Oh, I like it. And there are a lot of rats in this movie. They really yeah. wanted to get a sense of the authentic New York City experience. <laughs> I do like the thought of Dr. Doolittle using his powers for just straight up evil. Yeah, my problem with Dr. Doolittle is he's too, too nice, too campy. I've always wondered, what if Dr. Doolittle just started a murder rampage in New York? <laughs> oh, you know what? Foggy's always talking about those alligators in the sewers this whole movie. What if that's the work of the nefarious Dr. Doolittle? Oh, that would marvel. Contact us. Also, the creators of Dr. Doolittle. We can get a crossover going. Yeah, we can. Oh, my God. Now that Robert Downey Jr. is no longer playing Tony Stark ever again. <gasps> oh, my God. Amy, I know what you're going to say, and this is brilliant. He rejoins the Avengers as Dr. Doolittle. This is such a good idea. <laughs> Everyone is completely haunted because they're like, you look like someone that I used to know. And he comes out with his little Welsh accent or whatever. <laughs> so later that night, Matt goes home after he straight up kills someone. <laughs> There's this like uh, a voicemail that he gets where someone breaks up with him over the phone. That's Never mentioned again. So then he goes into the shower and he rips his tooth out. And he goes, <laughs> As you he goes do. Back into his coffin. So the next day, he is at a coffee shop with Foggy. And this girl, as we were talking about, this girl walks in that he immediately knows is beautiful because she's wearing a, a floral perfume. Um, so when she leaves, he, like, chases after her because he wants to get her name. And what follows is the most iconic scene in cinema history, I believe. The two of them start to just battle it out like they're in fucking Street Fighter. And they're literally fighting on the street. It's literally Street Fighter. <laughs> they're just, like, in this children's playground, I guess. And the two of them are just fighting in front of all these little kitties. And Daredevil just, like, throws his cane aside so he can fight this girl in broad-ass daylight. Even, he's like, he works so hard this whole movie to conceal his secret identity. He's like, no one knows, no one can know that I am Daredevil or my whole charade will be finished. And he's, like, meanwhile fighting this random girl in broad-ass daylight. <laughs> okay, here's what I don't understand, right? Is because the whole time Ben Yurick is like going around being like, hey, I think Daredevil did this and I think Daredevil did that. And everyone he talks to is always like, Daredevil is a myth, blah, blah, blah. Even Foggy is like, is Daredevil a myth, blah, blah, because um, he doesn't know. But like, the only times we ever see Daredevil fight people and kill people is in like public spaces, it's in like the bar. 
in the subway where anyone could walk in. He's like literally as himself as Matt Murdock fighting this lady like in a playground. Which uh, I guess everyone is cool. They're like, yeah, this blind man just beat up a random chick. That's that's normal. It's New York. So she ends up winning the fight. Which, uh, first of all, he's trying to get her name this whole time. And um, they start fighting because he kind of grabs her. He's like, give me your name. And she's like, oh, no, you creep. Leave me alone. Now, I love, I love me some Matt Murdock. But this was like, leave her alone, <laughs> dude. Yeah, like, I don't care if you're blind. If you're a creep, you're a creep. You're a creep for sure. So they end up fighting. She ends up winning. Uh, she gives him her name, which is Electra Nachos. <laughs> Nachos. Whatever. And it turns out that she is the daughter of a very wealthy businessman who is working for the mob. Yeah, and we learn that Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin, is running, like, all of New York City. And uh, Electra's dad is working for him, but he doesn't want to anymore. So Electra's dad goes and visits Kingpin, and he's like, hey, can I buy myself out of this whole crime business? Because I don't want to be here anymore. Fisk is like, sure, but I'm going to kill you. And he's like, hmm. <laughs> um, like, okay. And Fisk's like, okay, I'm going to kill you. And he's like, bye. See you, See you later. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so to do that... Fisk hires, and oh, here he comes. We're going to roll out the red carpet for our boy. Fisk hires an assassin. It's Bullseye, played by Colin Farrell, <laughs> in probably, to date, his best role he's ever been in. Picture this if you haven't seen this movie. Will Farrell. Wait, no. That's the wrong person. Colin <laughs> Colin Farrell, with his, like, just a goatee, bald as all hell, with, like, this etched bullseye in the middle of his forehead. Now, if you're sitting and you're picturing Colin Farrell, and you're like, wow, that sounds like a look. Oh, it definitely was a look. <laughs> it's sad that in this movie... He doesn't have a lot of good uh, uh, dialogue. In fact, in the first scene where we meet him, after Fisk says, I know exactly who I want to hire to kill Nachios or whatever he says. So we meet Bullseye. And in the first scene that he's in, like, Colin Farrell just doesn't talk at all. Like, they let him keep his Irish accent, but they don't let him talk. Yeah, he doesn't talk until, like, an hour into this movie or something. When I first watched this, I dead-ass thought, because when you're filming a movie, for those of you that don't know, you don't have to pay an actor as much if they don't have any lines. So a lot of the times, a lot of side actors just will not talk in movies and TV uh, because the studio can get away with not paying them that much if they don't have any actual lines. So I thought that's what he was going to be. I thought he was just going to sort of grunt his way through this line, because he has, like, four or five scenes of just him doing bullseye stuff before he ever talks. And he's just, like, grunting. 
No lines. Just like... <laughs> that was the best impression I think you've ever done on this podcast. Oh, you've thank got, you. <laughs> you've got exactly his his character. You've got his accent. You've got the tone, the style of speaking. Yeah, it's, it's all in there. Oh, I've been working on it for... I've been working on it? For three years, ever since we did the contest the first time. <laughs> so, uh, we meet him, he kills someone with, like, a bunch of paper clips, and then in the next scene, he has to go, I guess he's in Ireland? Uh, so he has to go to New York City from wherever he is, so he goes through the airport, wearing this huge belt buckle, these, like, five earrings, this necklace, like, 17 piercings on his face, a paper clip in his mouth, and he expects to go through the metal detector, like, without being stopped? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that was exactly his plan. Also, he looks like a Bond villain. <laughs> He's got his leather trench coat on, literally like a bullseye carved into his forehead. <laughs> And he's got his stupid little goatee. And the TSA is just like, yeah, let him through, boys. <laughs> they're just like, oh, could you open your mouth? And he's like, got a paperclip in his mouth. And they take it out and they're like, okay, that's all. That's all, thank you. Uh, time to board. <laughs> he goes on the plane somehow. They let him onto the plane. And there's this annoying-ass old lady sitting next to him. And he, like, flicks a peanut into her throat and kills her. <laughs> yeah, and the, you know, she's dead now. Um, sort of, like, leaning on her, on his shoulder. Stewardess comes by. She's like, oh, that's so cute. She's sleeping. Which, like, <laughs> it works for that scene. But if you think about what happens after that scene. Like, he's got to get off the plane at some point. Yes. And they're going to find this old lady is not going to get off the plane. <laughs> the fact that they let him on the plane is, you know, a choice. But the, I, how they let him off the plane <laughs> is another ordeal. After the woman next to him died. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know this is a two, an almost two and a half hour uh, long movie already, but... I would not mind if they made it a little longer by including a scene where he has to get off the plane and, like, maybe he, like, pushes her head onto the other person's shoulder on her other side. I don't know how he would do it. I don't... I honestly think he doesn't really care because he could have just, like, killed everyone on the way out. I don't know. But I would have loved that scene. Oh, me too. You know, he probably could have killed everyone on the way out. And we... Uh, you know what? Because the scene wasn't showed, he probably did. <laughs> If we're being honest. After that iconic scene, we have another iconic scene where Electra finds Matt again. And the, Matt's just like, hey, you want to come up to my roof? And she's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I guess so. So he takes her to the roof. And again, this uh, a Valentine's Day movie. This is a romantic scene because he says, oh, I can feel the rain coming on. She's like, what? What do you mean? It's not going to rain. And then in the next two seconds, it starts to rain. And he's like, in the rain? I can, like, see things. But, like, Matt, you can see the whole time. Yeah, dude. That's like, you can literally see 
all the time. Can you see, like, better in the rain? It's something about, like, the rain, like, comes down and it makes a noise. It's something about his echolocation, but he can, like, see her shape, like, her silhouette in the rain. But, like, I'm pretty sure he could do that anyway. Yeah, I mean, his powers are a little confusing in this movie, but Electra's, like, totally into it, which I guess is all that matters. They share a little rooftop kiss, a little romance blossoming between these two. But then, uh, you know, Matt, being Matt, uh, here's some random people fighting and just kind of leaves her stranded on his rooftop. <laughs> oh, we love that. So the next day, you know, he does his whole daredevil thing, beats up some guys, whatever. So the next day, uh, he gets an invitation from Electra to this ball that's being held. And he gets a plus one, so he takes Foggy with him. And Wilson Fisk is at the ball. And this is where we get the first interaction between Matt and Fisk. Because Fisk wants Matt Murdock and crew to represent him as a lawyer. And he's like, no, sorry, we only represent innocents. Um, da 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 And Fisk is like, uh, okay. <laughs> Walks away. And then, you know, as he do, Matt smells Electra from across the room and goes over to her. He just locks onto her scent. But the Electra's dad is also at this ball. And this is where Fisk, this whole movie, he's been giving out his calling card, which is this little rose that he gives to people that he's going to kill, I guess. So Fisk walks over and gives Rose to Electra's dad. And Electra's dad is like, oh, shit. <laughs> so right now, Matt and Electra are having fun. They're dancing. A little bit of romance. But the dad comes over and he's like, Electra, we gotta bounce. So Electra and her dad leave in their car. And Matt is worried about them, of course. So he follows them at a distance. But also following them, our boy Bullseye. He's like riding on this motorcycle. <laughs> standing on it he's like standing on the motorcycle just like riding it through the street and he's got his arms open like jesus and he's like standing on his motor and like nobody in new york is honking at him yeah no one's honking at this dude literally standing on a motor he's doing these like crazy ass stunts um it's fine so the daredevil also who's following uh they both end up Catching up with Electra and pa- Papa Electra. <laughs> um, but Daredevil can't stop Bullseye from killing the dad first. But he does it with Daredevil's weapon. So now Daredevil is like implicated in this murder because Bullseye like threw Daredevil's cane and like pierced the dad in the chest. And now even Electra thinks that Daredevil is the one that killed her dad. Even though I'm pretty sure she would have saw Bullseye throw that weapon. Yeah, but, okay, I have a lot to say. But, yeah, okay, so the way that he threw it, I guess, because he threw it straight at the dad, it passed Daredevil, and then it passed Electra, and then, like, pierced the dad through the chest. So I guess she wasn't looking then maybe it would have seemed like he did it but also first of all so matt and electra left the party at the same time electra kind of ditched him at the party and then matt's like whatever and he just like 
gets his daredevil suit in five seconds out of nowhere. And then he's like sitting on this gargoyle on the top of a building. And I'm like, where did you find the time? <laughs> he's very fat. You know, Daredevil has very specific powers in this movie. He can see. <laughs> he can see very well um, for a blind man. He's got his whole other senses are great. He can smell pretty women. And um, he's very fast, I guess. Okay. Well, <laughs> okay, that's accepted. There's also this part in the party scene where Ben Urich, the reporter, who keeps saying, I think Daredevil is killing all these people. He meets Matt and Foggy, and they kind of already know each other. And Matt drops his cane because he got to keep up the blind act in front of the normal people. So he drops his cane by accident or on purpose, I forgot. But Ben Urich picks it up for him, and he's like, wow, this is a cool color uh, because it's red. You know, like the Daredevil suit. Matchy, matchy. And <laughs> Matt says, I wouldn't know, and he takes it back. And Ben Urich's like, okay. Um, so then later, Ben Urich is the one who finds the cane... Uh, after Electra's dad gets straight up killed because the cane went through his chest, the autopsy guy or whatever, played by Kevin Smith, who I think wrote some Daredevil comics, uh, he gives him the cane to, you know, look it over. And then Ben Urich's like, he also thinks that Daredevil uh, killed Papanachios. And Electra, of course, also thinks that. So now she wants revenge on Daredevil, not on uh, Bullseye. And we get... Oh my god. I mean, we've said so many scenes that are so iconic in this movie, but I think this one is probably the most uh, well-known. Is that she decides that she's going to become a vigilante now. And she just has these, like, I don't know what they're called, but like Raphael the Ninja Turtle uses them. Those, like, little three-pointed blades. I just call them the Raphael knives, if I'm being completely honest. And she's in her dark-ass apartment. No one in this movie believes in electricity, I guess. She's like, has this fighting routine in her long-ass hallway. And there's these bags. First of all, she's got, like, Evanescence playing in the background. Gotta set the mood. <laughs> she's got these bags of sand I guess, rigged to fall from the ceiling when she walks past them. Maybe they're on a timer. Honestly, who knows? And as they drop from the ceiling, she, like, stabs them through with the Raphael knives. She's got this little training course all planned. I mean, if she does that every time, she's going to have to clean up, like, a lot of sand, right? Yeah, but I guess I guess she's rich now because she inherited all of her dad's money because uh, he's dead now uh so i guess she could like hire people to, to do that for her also i mean you mentioned the evanescence song but just to clarify it's wake me up inside like we just gotta say it's it's wake me up inside can't wake up wake me inside save you me you know the one oh you know the one you know the one i love that they chose the most iconic evanescence song <laughs> for the most iconic scene in this movie. Now, I have not seen the Electra movie, but I have heard that Evanescence is very prominent in it. Well, you know what? It's on our list, 
And if we're doing Daredevil, we might as well one day down the line do a Electra. Oh, I'm so glad <laughs> to just listen to an hour and a half of uh, Evanescence uh, songs. So, you know, of course, Electra wanting to now kill Daredevil. She's all ready. She's done her little fighting course with the sandbags. She's got everything she needs. She needs the Raphael knives. She needs some leather pants. <laughs> all the all the stuff. So she hunts down Daredevil, and the two of them fight. And he, this whole time, he's trying to tell her, it's not me. This other dude, Bullseye, that literally looks like a villain. He's got this, <laughs> he's got this leather trench coat. Oh, it wasn't... And she doesn't believe him. She's like, it was you. You killed my father. Prepare to die. My name is Inigo Montoya. You know the line. <laughs> but Bullseye also tracks him down because he still has to kill Electra, even though he already killed her dad. And he ends up killing Electra in the fight. Um, and also, like, kisses her, I think. Which was strange. <laughs> yeah. It, okay, so he... First of all, there's so much to talk about. So first of all, um, Electra is fighting Matt because she thinks Matt did it at first, and then she unmasks him because not enough of his face is showing, only his nose, cheeks, and mouth and chin. <laughs> so she has to unmask him and be like, oh, it's that guy that I've been kissing this whole time and I would have recognized his cheeks, nose, uh, lips, and chin? It's him? The guy whose cheeks, cheeks and nose, and chin I'm looking at? That's, that's who could be. Couldn't recognize? Yeah, that's who could be under this mask the whole time. So she's like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. And he's like, I didn't do it. She's like, now that I know it's you, the man I've kissed, who I didn't recognize, I believe you. So he's like, okay, sick. But she already, like, stabbed him through the shoulder. So he's like, I'm gonna take a, a time out here, because I'm in a lot of pain. She's like, aren't we all? Evanescence, wake me up inside. Um, so, <laughs> so then Bullseye comes. And first of all, he murdered her dad yesterday. And today he's like, hey, orphan, let's play. Oof. I mean, that that's one of his, like, five lines in this movie. And then oh, I think yeah. he says, he says, let's play to Daredevil a little bit later. But right now he's got he's to gotta cut her down a little more. He says, hey, orphan, let's play. Jesus Christ. And then, oh, speaking of Jesus Christ. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Uh, Electra gets stabbed through the hand. There's a lot of hand stuff in this movie. So Electra gets stabbed through the hand, and then Bullseye takes his playing card out of his pocket. You know, the pocket with all his paper clips and playing cards and stuff. So he takes one out of his pocket, and he flicks it at her, and it slits her throat. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, that's not enough. So he takes one of her Raphael knives, and he's, like, holding on to her, and stabbing it into her, and also kissing her at the same time. Very icky, very yucky. And then Daredevil's like, okay, I'm I'm good now, I had some rest. Now that she's dead, I guess I'ma fight you. <laughs> so they go into this random church that just so happens to be the church where uh, Daredevil knows the priest dude there, uh, even though he never goes to church. So they go into this church, and again, like, one... I know we say this for every scene, but this is literally one of the most iconic scenes in cinema history. There's a lot going on, so I'll, I'll give you a list of the things that happen in this fight scene in the church. First of all, Matt just has some kind of... In addition to all of his other 
talents and abilities. He just has this superhuman jumping skill because he jumps onto this giant organ with like the pipes going into the ceiling or something. And he they're just like playing around on the organ. They're just like horsing <laughs> around. And also Bullseye throws a plate at his neck. <laughs> horsing around on this organ. They're just like, I'm gonna get you, I'm gonna get you. And then <laughs> Bullseye, Bullseye breaks the stained glass window, and as the shards are falling, he just, he holds his hands out flat, like plates or something, and he just catches pieces of the stained glass window. And then he like whips all of these glass shards at Matt. <laughs> oh, and if you're gonna... Matt, the way that Matt avoids these shards is just so good. He does, like, that... <laughs> that gymnastics, like, matrix... What would you even call it move? Where he's, like, doing all these backflips to avoid the shards of glass, but he's not even, like, doing any evasive maneuvers. He's just doing regular backflips. But it works. <laughs> he's doing some kind of martial arts, some kind of Olympic gymnastics uh, to, to get away from these shards, and by some miracle, he doesn't get pierced by any of the shards. And then, with his powers, he can hear that... The police are, like, swarming this church because they got two vigilantes that are, like, wanted. So they're they're outside. And there's this, like, uh, police officer with a sniper or something in the building across. <laughs> and Matt can hear, like, I guess exactly where the bullet's going to go. Because he makes it so that bulls both of Bullseye's hands, and again with the hand things, both of Bullseye's hands get shot like directly through the pot like jesus style in this church a lot of religious imagery he gets shot through both of his hands at the same time and then, and then like, he pushed that he holds his hands out like jesus i think this dude fancies himself jesus christ because the amount of times that he either makes like a Jesus illusion or just like a random pose that makes him look like Jesus is a surprising amount in this movie. And even if you didn't catch any of them before, this one is so in your face with the two holes through the hands and he's holding them out like a T pose. It's so iconic. It's how can you beat that? Oh, you can't, because in the next moment, Matt just, like, fucking pushes him out of the window. That's that on that fight. He just pushes him out of the window, and he lands on one of the cop cars uh, outside. So then, cut to Wilson Fisk in his office with his little assistant dude, Wesley. And uh, Fisk is like, oh, I guess now that Bullseye's dead or whatever, he knows somehow. He's like, I guess Daredevil's gonna come for me now. And then his little assistant Wesley is like, oh, do you want me to get the guards? And then Wilson Fisk, a a.k.a. Kingpin, says, no, send them home. <laughs> no, send my bodyguards home. Oh, by the way, there's an assassin out to get me, but send my bodyguards home. What are you talking about? This dude killed your best assassin. And you're like, no, I think I'm good. 
right here in my glass apartment. <laughs> I'm totally fine by myself. And of course, Daredevil comes, breaks in, and fights Wilson Fisk. Fisk ends up unmasking him, and he sees that it's Matt Murdock. But that, like, doesn't help him at all because Daredevil beats his ass. <laughs> and part of the reason that Daredevil beats his ass is because I, like, slam into the wall and then some, like, pipe comes loose. So then the sprinklers go off and it's, like, kind of like the rain thing where he can, like, see in the rain even though he could see, like, all the time even when it's not raining. But anyway, he can see, like, super good in the rain. So the sprinklers come on and he can just, like, fight him. He can just, and then he, he does this move where he, he slides between Kingpin's legs, and then on the other side, he kicks him in the knee. <laughs> and that's all it takes. And then he's down. And then he, he has the upper hand, right? Kingpin's, like, on the floor. And Daredevil's like, this is for my dad, or whatever. And he almost kills him, but then he stops at the last minute. And he's like, mm, you know what? I'm not the bad guy. I'm gonna leave you alive. I'm gonna leave you for the police. Which I have conflicting thoughts on because I get the whole thing, right? Is that he doesn't want to be the bad guy and how he was at the beginning of the movie, like leaving calling cards and killing random people in the subway is very akin to what Wilson Fisk himself does in this movie. But like, I get that he doesn't want to be like that anymore. But also, he literally just kicked Bullseye out a window, like, 20 minutes ago. And also, Matt's like, I'm better than you morally. Like, but the whole movie, he's never had any moral conflicts with himself about being like, oh, I don't want to be the bad guy. He's just straight up been murdering people. He's been pushing people, like, in front of the subway. He's been, like, he's just straight up killing people. And now he's like not even going to kill the dude who killed his dad and also his kind of girlfriend's dad? Like, what's what's the point? And then Kingpin is like, once I get out of prison, I'll find you. And Daredevil says, I'll be waiting. Like, waiting for what? Waiting to not kill him again? Yeah, waiting for what? This is the same problem I have with Batman. I love Batman. Batman is my boy. I've been reading the comics forever. I love him. Everything about him, except his stupid rule where he doesn't kill anyone because it's the dumbest rule i've ever heard and i hate every time in a movie where they're like i'm gonna be better than you i'm not gonna kill the bad guy guess what happens in the sequel bitch is the bad guy gets out and they kill more people and i don't know you could have avoided that entire thing by just killing the bad guy in the first movie and it pisses me off every time yeah, it doesn't make sense. But you've been killing me. And then uh, this is a thing specific to the TV show where he does have that kind of moral argument with himself where he's like, I don't want to kill people. That same kind of Batman argument. But then he's like pushing people out of windows and pushing people down the stairs and like giving them like five concussions. And it's like, <laughs> you didn't kill them. I'll give you that. But they're like an inch away from death. They're, like, ringing the buzzer on death's doorstep right now. My guy, even if you didn't kill him, gravity killed him. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm not gonna kill him, but I'm gonna leave him with two broken kneecaps, a concussion, and, like, bloodied eyes. Like, do you think they want to live after that? <laughs> I think it's more cruel to leave them like that than just to kill him. 
you know what? I think what Daredevil means, what, what, and, and what Batman means, when he's like, I don't kill people. I think he doesn't want to kill main characters. Because <laughs> Daredevil is, like, super fine killing all the little <laughs> lackeys. But then when it comes to Wilson Fisk, the kingpin of this whole operation, the leader of all crime in New York, he's like, no, I'm going to be the good guy. No, be the good guy tomorrow, after you kill the kingpin. <laughs> yeah, because today you're already not the good guy because you pushed uh, Bullseye out the fucking window. Daredevil, you gotta wait till tomorrow. You've already you've already done your your killing for today. Today is a bad day. Today you're on the naughty list. You can wait till tomorrow to try to get on that night list. Night list? <laughs> the nice list. That night list. He does all his killing at night. That's why. Oh, it's his night list. I see. <laughs> And if you think, oh, that's pretty stupid that he didn't kill Kingpin, well, guess what? He didn't even kill Bullseye. Because in the next scene, we see that Bullseye is, like, fully alive in the hospital. He's covered head to toe in bandages, but he's, like, fully alive. And also, he, like, kills a, a fly on the wall with uh, a needle. So his abilities are still, like, perfectly intact, uh, even with his hands all fucked up and whatever. So really, um, Daredevil did nothing this movie. He didn't kill a single villain in this movie, and he didn't prevent anyone from getting killed. His dad died. Electra's dad died. Electra died. <laughs> he didn't prevent any deaths, and he didn't kill any of the people that are behind any of it. What did he accomplish this whole movie is all I want to know. Literally nothing. Oh, oh, well, there was this whole uh, side story that I don't think we mentioned at all, but they have a case, and they won the case, and they this guy was framed for murder, and now he's set free because he was innocent. So they did accomplish that, but, like, that's their day job. So they, so that's what they have to do. Yeah, okay. And I guess, because that case, the whole reason why the dude that they were representing got off scot-free was because they found out that the person behind it was Kingpin, because Kingpin is behind everything. That's why you should have killed him. So I guess, you know, it's fine. Kingpin goes on trial. He's in jail at the end or whatever. But like, what bad guy in any superhero movie ever to exist ever stays in jail? <laughs> you know he's gonna get out. Yeah. You know he's gonna start his Kingpin-ness, Kingpin kingdom again. I just gonna kill more people. I also do want to talk about one, because this is the end of the movie. <laughs> this is the end. I want to talk about, I think it's either the last or one of the last scenes, where before in the movie, there's a scene where Elektra shows Daredevil a necklace that she has, and he's like, sick necklace, does it come in braille? <laughs> and then at the end of the movie, he finds a necklace on his roof apartment that's the same necklace in braille. So I have... Quite, is is Electra alive? Did she make that for him before she died and just left it on his roof? I guess she must be, because the sequel. <laughs> ah, yes, the Electra movie that Nathan's seen. <laughs> so, so I'm going to say, yeah, I, th I think that implies that she's alive. I think they wanted another team-up movie, but then Ben Affleck was like, no, thank you. No, um, thanks. I'm going to be Batman now. Yeah, oh, by the way, this is the end of the movie. We have uh, a lot of other things to go through, but I will say one piece of trivia right now. So this is from IMDb, and it says, 
Although Ben Affleck is a fan of the character, uh, the character of Daredevil, asking him out was such an unpleasant experience that in November 2006, Affleck stated that he would never reprise the role, having felt, and this is in quotes, by playing a superhero in Daredevil, I have, I, <laughs> I have inoculated myself from ever playing another superhero. Wearing a costume was a source of humiliation for me, and something I wouldn't ever want to do again soon. It is believed that the Daredevil costume was very uncomfortable to wear. However, in 2013, Affleck accepted an agreement to play Batman, starting with Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. So we love a man of his word. Um, yeah, we love a man of his word, and also we all know how Batman v Superman turned out. Sadly, I do want to add one more one more piece of trivia right now. Um, this is from Wikipedia. So just to corroborate this whole mess that he talked himself into, um, it says Affleck himself disliked the film. They mean this film, Daredevil, and said that it inspired him to take on the role of Batman in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. And this is in quotes. That's the movie I want to do. I want to be a part of that, meaning Batman v Superman. Part of it was I wanted, for once, to get one of these movies and do it right. To do a good version. I hate Daredevil so much. <laughs> <laughs> was that in there? <laughs> that last part? Yeah, he, he was uh, quoted, I hate Daredevil so much. Wow. So first he hated Daredevil so much that he would never play a superhero. But then he changed his mind and he... It inspired him to play a good version of the superhero, which he also didn't do. <laughs> mm, wow. Um, yeah, maybe he should have stuck with his original uh, promise. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of our recap. Let's get into our final thoughts. Uh, I have a lot of final thoughts, but uh, do you have any that you wanna you want to talk about? Oh, I have so many. I mean, we've already mentioned that the soundtrack is so choice in this movie. <laughs> it's all early 2000s angsty pop punk, and I am living for it. I wouldn't change a thing. <laughs> Can I admit to you that not not through a purchase, but um, gifted to me was the soundtrack to this movie on a CD that I think my dad got for free because there was some like promotion at at like some record store where they were just giving them out for free so he had it and he gave it to me he gifted it to me and I don't think it's a full soundtrack because there are only literally only four songs on it I will admit that I may also have had the majority of these songs on my original mp3 player <laughs> So I don't think any of us can particularly diss the music in this because we were very much in that emo punk stage ourselves. Okay, I want to say that the cinematography in this movie was so cheesy that it worked. <laughs> Every transition in this movie was like, a, a quick zoom in to someone's glasses and then it like zooms out <laughs> from someone else's glasses or you, we zoom into an eye and that changes to like the circle of the sun or something 
we already mentioned that there's so many puddle transitions where someone steps into a puddle and it pans up and it's a different scene. They, it's like it was so cheesy and campy. They took it so far that it like worked. <laughs> I don't know how else to describe it. They did it so much that I was like immune to it by the end. That's true, and I don't think they even knew how campy it was because they were trying to make like a, a dark, gritty movie, but it's so funny. The it's cinematography so funny. is so, like, it reminds me of like, the whole movie actually it reminds me of like Batman and Robin and like, those like, over the top kind of superhero movies, even though that's not what they intended. I think, like, they're so similar to those. Um, also, I want to mention the dialogue. We got some cheesy dialogue. I mentioned some before, but let me just let me just hit you with some or actually maybe only one. <laughs> one more that I haven't mentioned at the very beginning. There's like this flashback to the end for like five seconds and then it flashes back to his past, whatever. Um, anyways, so Matt Murdock says they say your whole life flashes before your eyes when you die. And that's true. Even for a blind man. Wow. And then wow. He, he has a lot of these blind justice is blind. Every time every time he's in court, he says, Justice is blind. Like, we get it, son, you're blind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. The dialogue in this movie, oh my I, can I mention like this movie is so unabashedly two thousands. I think there's a moment at the ball where um foggy sees fisk for the first time and he's like oh <laughs> he's like wilson fisk is in the hizzy <laughs> wow which hearing yes. those words come out of john favreau's supple lips just made my day <laughs> wow and he also has another line where him and Matt are, like, at the cafe before Matt literally sniffs out electric coming into the cafe. So Foggy's, like, he's talking about how he spent, like, $3,000 on a seeing eye dog for Matt, like, sometime before. And he's, like, did you know seeing eye dogs bond for life? Yours ran away. What does that tell you about how emotionally unavailable you are? Oh, Foggy was so good. <laughs> I love Foggy. I do like, I'm going to give it another toast, because I do like the chemistry between Matt and Foggy, especially in the cafe scene. And I can't tell if it's Matt laughing at Foggy's jokes or Ben Affleck laughing at John Favreau's jokes, but they seem like they're like actually really good friends, and I like that. Yeah, which they, yeah, I do really like that, because they don't really go over. And one thing I wanted to talk about was the differences between the movie and the TV show. Not too much, <laughs> but in the TV show, obviously, we get to explore more of the characters' backstories because, obviously, we have more time to do so. So we get to see them in college. We get to see Matt and Foggy as friends. But I like that this movie, even though it didn't have the time to quite go over their history, we could see it, that they were friends and that they'd been friends for a while. And we could see the chemistry between them, even though we didn't really know anything about their past. I thought that really worked. Yeah, even in, like, um, like offhand comments that they make, like, Foggy will be like, do you remember that course we took at law school? Well, that's the one you got a, an F in or something. <laughs> and, and they talk about their law school days, and 
just, you know, tiny, tiny comments about how they've been friends for a long time. And I like that. They tease each other a lot. And they're at a point where Foggy can try to, like, play pranks on Matt because he knows that Matt is not as helpless as people tend to think he is, even though he's blind and and, uh, Matt plays pranks back on Foggy. Yeah, their chemistry was really good. (laughs) It was better than uh, Matt and Electra's, to be totally honest. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they... I don't know. They they had some chemistry, but also they fell in love in like half a day after they tried to kill each other at the playground. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I do also want to talk about the Daredevil costume. Because first of all, in this movie, it ugly. Let's just get it oh, away. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it do be. It's pretty ugly. Second of all, like whoever designed it, I don't know, first of all, where he would get someone to design, like, a vigilante costume for him. But second of all, it's got, like, a thousand buckles and zippers, and it's, like, made of leather, but somehow also flexible, and it's uh, not the best costume out there, let's say. Um, also, about the costume, and again, to to compare this to the TV show, but in this version... In some scenes, the Daredevil suit just has eye holes cut out, and you can clearly see that his eyes are, like, fucked up. (laughs) Oh, no. And that he's, like, pretty obviously blind or has cataracts or something. But also in the TV show, he just straight up covers his eyes at, at all times. So I don't know which is more obviously, like, saying to people that he's blind. Neither, neither of the costumes are really trying to hide the fact. Yeah, this is a very good point. <laughs> so I think that's all of my um, final thoughts before we get into our other segments. Do you have any other final thoughts that you want to talk about? No, that's pretty much all I wanted to mention. So now that we've kind of talked about our thoughts on the movie, we do have a new segment for season three. Season three, season 2021, have a lot of fun. So this season, we're, we've been roasting a lot. We've been toasting some, but we've been roasting a lot over the course of this podcast. And we want to make these roasts a little bit more um, constructive. Constructive. Thank you. So we have a new segment about what we would improve in these movies. And I think we kind of, you know, went over these points a lot. But just to um, gather our thoughts again, <laughs> I think my first point is that even though they were pretty campy already, I think that they could have, like, thrown out the window their plans to make a dark, gritty movie and made it even more campy. If it's possible, I think they could have leaned into the camp a lot more than they did, and I think that would have been really good. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I know this was, like, <laughs> the early 2000s. This is this was the era of uh, dark, gritty superhero movies. Uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, Catwoman, Constantine, Punisher, Blade, Ghost Rider, etc. Like, all those movies kind of had the exact same vibe going for them. And I think it's basically just like the MCU that kind of brought the light into superhero movies, which I'm very glad for, because they were all very... You don't always want so much angst in these movies, and not every superhero is suited to so much angst. I agree. I think they could have made it a little lighter, both in terms of tone and also because they couldn't fucking see. It's 
Yeah, that's that's a minor complaint I also have about the TV show. Is it so fucking dark? I have to turn up my uh my screen to like the full brightness mode. I did really like the connections that they made between uh sort of having the the court. I mean, we didn't really mention it because it wasn't super important, but um throughout this whole movie, the court case that they're working on eventually leads up to them catching Fisk, which was good, but the court parts, I think, I don't know, they were either, like, a little too hard for me to understand, <laughs> or you didn't quite get how they were gonna fit in until the very end of the movie. They also had, sort of, two court cases going. The one at the beginning was the the dude that he killed in the subway, and then they moved on to a different court case. I think just whenever it entered a court scene... Maybe it's just because law dramas are not my thing. I don't know. I kind of zoned out a little. The, I think they could have... I don't even know what I'm trying to say here. But I think they could have made those a little bit more concise. Or they could have made them a li- little easier to follow. Made it a little more obvious where it was going. Some along those lines. Yeah, I agree with you. And also, I have some very good news for you, because we watched the director's cut, but in the normal cut, all of those scenes are taken out. So oh, I whole... love that. Okay, perfect. Watch <laughs> <Yeah>. the normal version. <laughs> so the whole subplot with the case that they're working on is not in that version. Just to name a, a few other differences between the two versions. So some things were removed from... The director's cut, when they cut it down to the normal version and the uh, things were added in, apparently there was uh, a naked naked scene that we didn't get to see because it's only in the normal version. Um, there were also some confession booth scenes that we didn't get to see in what we watched. There was a flashback to a young Matt with his uh, adopted mother. Some of the scenes are more violent in one version that we saw. I'm pretty sure when we watched this three years ago, we must have watched the original version, because I do remember seeing all those scenes. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, and you can find, you know, a whole list of the scenes that are different on IMDb. It should be somewhere there. You'll find it. But, yeah, it it cuts out all of the court case scenes. And I think you're right. They don't really add much to to the plot. They do connect some things, but they're more like, character scenes than plot scenes where we can see how Matt and Foggy work together and and there's a scene where Matt is like super playing up the fact that he's blind just to get uh, sympathy from the jury and like stuff like that but yeah I don't think they're really necessary either Um, another thing I wanted to say is that Karen Page who's in this movie for two scenes she isn't really necessary either like she helps Foggy with one clue that pertains to the case, but other than that, like, she had no purpose. She's just, like, getting them coffee, and, like, it's something that I think Foggy could have realized on his own, maybe. Yeah, it would have also... I mean, I love Karen as a character in the comics and also in the TV show, I think, does an excellent job of developing her character. But in this movie... I like the fact that they included her because it was sort of like, for those that know of her character, it's like, oh, there's Karen. But I think for the purposes of just the plot and the movie, I think they could have 
cut around entirely because it also would have added more to Foggy's character because this whole movie, I love Foggy so much, but he's very sort of bumbling in this movie. Even in, there's some scenes where he has to do the court stuff himself because Matt's not there and he's doing a very bad job of it. And I think that giving him that little moment of figuring out that there's this little note that eventually leads them to Fisk, figuring out that clue himself could have given his character some win, because um, he didn't really get any wins in this movie. <laughs> he didn't get the girl. He's, like, not a good lawyer in this movie, like, at all. <laughs> if they would have given him that moment to be like, oh, he figured something out, I think that would have helped his character a lot. Yeah, that's true. You're right. Also, the last thing I wanted to mention in my uh, improvements here is that they have a lot, a lot, and we've mentioned it a lot, uh, a lot of religious imagery, but it doesn't really make sense the same way it does in the show, because in the show, we know that Matt is like super Catholic and he has a lot of guilt about things and uh, he has this inner conflict with himself about should I kill people if they're bad people or is that morally bad or should I just like severely harm them uh, <laughs> he, has, <laughs> he has that kind of uh, conflict but we don't see that in the movie he's just like push you off a building push you down a well whatever so <laughs> there's a lot of religious imagery that doesn't really have an effect on his choices or on his personality the way that they do in the comics or in the show and it's kind of just there for not really any reason yeah and especially in the director's cut because i do remember in the original just regular version that we watched before that there were a couple scenes where he went to confession and he has a sort of deeper connection to the I don't even, church master? What were they called? The priest? The church, the church <laughs> master! <laughs> he fucking invites you into his dungeon. <laughs> He's like, I am the church master. You must solve my three riddles. <laughs> <laughs> he has like a, uh, a connection to him that he tells him what he's thinking and he tells him all his dilemma that he's going on in his mind. In the director's cut, we don't really get any of that. So in the director's cut, it's basically just a normal movie where we don't even get... There's one scene where Matt goes into church and the father is like, you should come to church more. And he's like, nah, <laughs> nah, fam, I'm good. <laughs> so you kind of get the impression that he's not Catholic. And then I, it's just like this movie that doesn't really have anything to do with religion. And then there's this one random scene at the end, which we talked about, where Bullseye gets shot through both hands and does this weird Jesus Christ pose <laughs> that comes out of absolutely nowhere. <laughs> You're like, what is, what is going on? I would personally recommend, if you have to choose one and you have not seen this movie, or if you just want to rewatch it, watch the regular version. Because I think that the scenes in that version more than make up for not having the court drama stuff in this version. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, Electra's hand got uh, pierced through as well. Uh, a lot of Jesus imagery. But uh, I think you're right. I did see that on IMDb. A lot of people preferred the director's cut. So if you want to follow preferred along with the case... Version? Yeah, they preferred the version that we watched because oh. they said it fleshed out the case more. I think 
here's the thing. I think if you want to see a decent movie with, like, a case and, like, whatever, then watch this version. But if you just want to, like, make fun of something for an hour and 45 minutes, go watch the the theatrical cut. And it does the same job. It has the same iconic scenes. If you just want to see the iconic scenes, I mean, the sandbag, the, uh, the <laughs> playground, the kissing in the rain, like, if you just want to see those... Go watch the theatrical version. It'll give you what you need. But if you want to follow along to a case, if you want to, I don't know, half an hour more of Daredevil, of Ben Affleck playing Daredevil, go right ahead and watch this version. I think it really depends on what you're looking for. Do you have anything else to add, or should we go into uh, reviews? I do have, like, very quick... Okay. Trivia here, too. So I got some trivia off of IMDb and Wikipedia. It's super quick. Uh, from Wikipedia, all I will say is that in July 2008, Jason Statham expressed interest in appearing as Daredevil in the future, which oh? is interesting. From IMDb. These are funny. So the playground fight, iconic, took four days to shoot. I mean... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I I did watch some behind the scenes that I stumbled upon on YouTube while trying to find the director's cut. It was like a bloopers thing, but like half of it was <laughs> Matt and Electra just trying to do all their acrobatic fight movements in this park that they're fighting at, and neither of them can do any of the moves. They like there's this one part where they have to like hop onto a a seesaw or something. <laughs> they can't they can't do it. So maybe it took like a week for them to film it because no one could do any of the acrobatics in this scene. <laughs> wow. Also, apparently in their big fight scene, I'm not sure which one IMDb is referring to, but in one of their fight scenes together, Jennifer Gardner accidentally kicked Ben Affleck so hard in the head that he blacked out. <laughs> Yikes. So that might have been a reason why he never wanted to uh, appear as Daredevil again. Um, also, this is the funniest thing that I've ever heard. Like, Ben Affleck hated the hair color required for this role. He said it was so damaging to his self-esteem that he would avoid looking in the mirror. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Daredevil has brown hair. Yes. <laughs> and Ben Affleck has brown hair. So Can you tell me the difference between their haircuts? Because I don't see it. He didn't hate the haircut. He hated the hair color, which is maybe like color. it's like a light brown and his hair is like a dark brown normally. And it's oh, so damaging. Man. Ashley, don't make fun of him because it was so damaging to his self-esteem that he, he, A-list actor Ben Affleck, would avoid looking into the mirror. <laughs> also, in the comics, excuse me if I'm wrong here, I have not read a Daredevil comic in a, in a hot minute, but his hair is like, he's like a redhead, right? Girl, I don't remember. It's like an orangey. They didn't do the worst that they could have done to his hair. They didn't give him that, that Honey Miss Auburn, right? They just made it like five shades lighter than it normally is. Well, I'm going to take your word for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, you're right, actually. He is kind of a, 
wow, why do I remember him as being brunette? Oh, you're right. He is he is like a ginger. I mean, if Ben Affleck, if he had that hair, um, if, he, if he thinks two shades lighter is a change, boy, howdy. Do I have some news for what could have been Ben Affleck? You know what? And I wish they would have been because, I mean, I don't understand what the point of dyeing his hair a single shade lighter brown was. If you're going to go for it and dye a character's hair, go for it and get him that auburn hair. Uh, also, just speaking of Ben Affleck, have you seen that picture of him that we will 100% put on our Twitter later where he... He he's holding these Dunkin' Donuts coffees, and he just drops them on the floor. <laughs> this is the saddest picture <laughs> I have ever seen in my life. Oh, you can, oh, we have to post this on Twitter. You cannot imagine <laughs> the the sorrow on this man's face after dropping these coffees. Also, I'm looking at his picture, like, legit right now in front of me, and his hair, now, almost, like, 20 years after this movie was released, his hair now is the same fucking color it was in this movie. Exactly. I don't see any difference. <laughs> wow. One one last piece of trivia. Okay. We don't even have to talk about it, but Daredevil is rumored to be in Spider-Man 3. That's all I have to say. Okay. Oh, I'm so... Okay, don't know if it's true yet, but I have heard rumorings that Charlie Cox will reprise his role for the movies. And if that's true, I might die. <laughs> he did such a good job in the TV show. Oh, I love that. I did hear that he might come back as Peter Parker's lawyer, as Matt Murdock, and oh. not Daredevil. But only rumors. Okay, we can move on now. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's uh, very exciting if it is true. So we've gone over our thoughts uh, about this movie. Now we have a couple thoughts from the internet on what they thought about this movie that we'd like to share with you from, we have some reviews from IMDb. We have some reviews from Letterboxd. I think we'll start with Letterboxd today. Oh, okay. Oh, we're just going to change things up for our 50th. We're just going to shake it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, I have three letterbox reviews here, and the first one is by Joe, who gave it four out of five stars, and Joe says, they just don't make them like this anymore. Oh, Joe's so right. The, uh, the second review is by Patrick Willems, who gave it two stars. A scene ends on Colin Farrell growling, I want a costume, and then he never gets a costume. How do you mess that up? That's a very good point. Also, he literally already has a costume. He's wearing his leather-ass trench coat. Also, he has that bullseye on his forehead. Yeah, I think that's a pretty defining uh, character feature there. This last review is by Ellie, who gave it half a star, and it's also about Colin Farrell in this movie. I just want to talk to whoever decided to introduce Bullseye, as played by Irish actor Colin Farrell, with the song Top of the Morning to ya, featuring the lyrics, You see, I'm Irish, but I'm not a leprechaun. Oh my god, how did I miss that both times while watching this movie? That's amazing. What are the people of IMDb saying? Okay, we got three reviews from IMDb. <laughs> 
The first is by user Drapetta99, who gave it a 10 out of 10. Their tagline is Director's Cut, made it so much better. As I titled this, I really enjoyed this movie, since I am a comic nerd. But I rated it as a 5 out of 10. Wait, but they didn't. They literally gave it 10 out of... Well, we're not here for accuracy. I got the director's cut for Christmas, and oh my god, it made this movie so much better. The subplot with Coolio really rounds out the characters of Matt and Foggy, and little scenes added back in here and there, like Matt's rituals after patrol and in the morning, and the extended version of him and Elektra on the roof before the rain made the part in the ending make more sense. <laughs> One thing I really enjoyed was the additional time to developing Kingpin and making him seem like a bad guy. Really helped this film a lot. All in all, whoever made the call to cut all this stuff from the movie should be fired from the studio because the theatrical release was a butchery and a farce. I felt like having to admit that I didn't like the movie too much at first, but now I can tell people how much it kicked ass. The next review is by user Zyar the Chosen, who gave it a 7 out of 10. And their tagline is, <laughs> their tagline is, why only me? Why is it only me that thinks this movie is so underrated? <laughs> You're not the only one. <laughs> the last is by user Super Ultraman, who didn't give it a number review, but their tagline is, could not get past the first 20 minutes. And I am a comic book fan. How could Murdoch's enhanced senses explain his ability to leap 30 to 50 feet from building to building without breaking his feet slash ankles? Does working out in a boxing gym by yourself teach you how to duck a punch from a bigger, faster person? Or developing fighting skills like a trained martial artist? If Murdoch dictates his life to fighting for the oppressed, like being the best lawyer he could be, how could he lose the first case you see him on screen <laughs> then average his loss by maiming slash killing a hall full of people golly if i had murdoch as my lawyer i might as well give my money away absolutely the worst comic book movie i have ever seen dot 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 wow also i don't even think you gotta pay in money because the the clients in this movie paid in like fish and <laughs> oh, yeah uh, yeah, I forgot about that. The whole movie, they're, like, complaining about uh, how they're so poor and we have no money. And then they get their clients to pay them in fish. <laughs> just, like, a tuna. Like, just, uh, just a little bass. Also, uh, they talked about how, how did he learn how to do all those martial arts? But also, how did he learn how to drive a car? Because in this movie, he threatens someone by getting into the driver's seat of a car and just, like, crashing the car all over. But how did he learn how to do even that? Mm, this is a very good point. Maybe he just, like, ah, ah, just, like, uh, just did his little bat call to try to see where everything was. Was that your bat call? That was my bat call. I don't know what bats sound like. <laughs> so now that we've heard what the people of the internet thought about this movie, what do we think of this movie? On a scale from 1 to 10, Amy, what would you give this? 10 being the not that bad for a bad movie, and 1 out of 10 being so bad I could honestly barely even finish it. So... 
I don't remember what version I saw last time, but I remember liking it and thinking it was uh, funny and and camp. Um, and this time, I thought the same about this version. And again, all of those iconic scenes, how can you beat them? And the evanescence and just every every single part of this movie. The, the chemistry between Matt and Foggy and... Ah, oh, just a lot, a lot of amazing fight choreography and just things that don't make sense at all, but still are funny. I'm going to give this, I'm going to give this maybe an eight. Oh, okay. That's, uh, that's pretty good. I think I'm going to give it a little lower, but in the same sort of range. I think I'm going to give it a seven. Um, it's not, I mean... For the time, I guess in 2002, this was sort of the caliber of movie you were going to be expecting uh, from a superhero movie. Nowadays, we have, oh, God, us us little nerds have been so blessed with superhero movies recently. But, I mean, this movie is so fun to make fun of. It's really not as bad as it could have been. It wasn't as bad for us. It wasn't as bad as it could have been for Ben Affleck. And also, I have, maybe I'm biased, because if I can remember correctly, which I might not be, this is the very first episode that we've ever recorded on this podcast, so it has a special place in my heart. Yeah, this is true. I mean, I'm I'm glad we're doing this, re-recording this. Uh, we, we've had to re-record episodes in the past for technical <laughs> reasons, but this is... Uh, I mean, I'm glad that we're choosing to re-record this one. Um, A, because the original is over four hours long. But also, like, we've learned so much doing this from kind of what we what we thought it was going to be like. Our segments were very different. It was so long. <laughs> uh, we weren't as funny. I, I'm glad that we chose to re-record this episode for our special 50th uh, episode. Um because I think we've we've come pretty far since, <laughs> since that four-hour recording. Yeah, I think so, too. I hope so, at least. But, yeah. Also, a big shout-out to our friend of the podcast, Julia, who was on that very first episode with us. So, thanks to her. Uh, I think it was her idea that we do a drinking game every episode and and have drinking points so she's also contributed a lot to this podcast and um yeah i don't know happy 50th man this is amazing that we even got to 50 i know happy 50th so if any of you have seen daredevil and you have thoughts on daredevil or if you have other fun movies for us to do in 2021 have a lot of fun uh, our third season, then you can, you know, tell us over Twitter or Letterboxd. We're at BMS Podcast on both. Or you can shoot us an email at badmoviesundaypodcast at gmail.com. Also, another big thanks to Kevin McLeod for providing our intro and outro music. Uh, they both come from his song Riptide, which you can find on his uh, website, incompetech.filmmusic.io. So, Big thanks to him for giving us our season three music. And big thanks to everyone listening. If you've listened to one episode or to 50, uh, it means a lot to us. I'm Ashley. 
I'm Amy. We have been Bad Movie Sunday. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next, next week.